Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on June 10th, 2018, while walking around outside on a beautiful, cloudy morning in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Roseville. Actually, where I'm standing right now, I can usually look and see the mountains that surround the historic Rose Bowl, but it's one of those wonderful cloudy days where you just can't see ahead. You know, like the mountain, my kids would say, someone erased the mountains. And so it's like, it's, it's cloudy. It's the, what, what's ahead of us can't really be seen. And it's a beautiful morning. Um, I'm taking a walk. My entire family is sound asleep back in the house. And I'm basically just thinking about baseball as I want to do. It's funny that as the view that I have of Pasadena is cloudy and you know not exactly not exactly clear right now, my prediction at the beginning of the year for the baseball season is one that I think is coming a little clearer into focus right now. Now look at a lot of things can happen. And it is still relatively early in the season. But do you what it's not? It's not super early in the season. We are in the middle third of the year. The first third of the year from opening day to approximately Memorial Day is kind of the feeling out process. What are we? Are we going to contend? Are we not? And the middle part right now is when you take a look at the team and say, hmm, maybe, just maybe, we're contending. Maybe we're a big-time contender. We need to fill in you know, the holes to make us a champion. Or maybe we should start, you know, bailing out the, bailing out the boat. You know, I, I watched uh, part of the Mets-Yankees games from the last couple of days as I'm not watching the Red Sox. And, you know, the, the, the Mets threw out Jacob deGrom, who was wonderful, and the Yankees still won. The Mets took a 3 nothing lead in the first inning and had a wonderful performance by Steven Matz, and the Yankees still won. It, it, a team like the Mets, as I mentioned the other day, has to put two sticks of dynamite in this team and blow it up. And if there was ever a example of what's going on with the Mets and why they need to do something, is at a critical moment with the tying and winning runs on in the bottom of the ninth of the Subway Series, they had Jose Reyes up there. Jose Reyes was the batter. Now, I will remind you that Jose Reyes can no longer play baseball. Jose, it's not like, oh, you know what, he's in a slump. No, he can't play baseball. I, you know, I'm not in love with batting average as a, uh, a metric of what kind of a hitter you are. But with that being said, in a critical moment, in a 4-3 game, a dramatic game, 4-3, and uh, a Roldis Chapman pitching, they sent up to bat as a pinch hitter. A guy who's batting 139 and his OPS is 399. 
That's combining his on-base and his slugging, and you can't even get to the number 400. And he's the guy who comes off the bench and says, well, we need a hit. We need a big hit here. Why don't we get a guy who's... If, if you had those numbers and you were a pitcher, that's excusable. That's, that's, the, that's the Mets right there. And, of course, it was between Jose Reyes and Aroldis Chapman. So in terms of anyone who cares about not glamour, you know, glamorizing those who are domestic abusers, it's like, geez, who do you root for in this matchup? And I realize who I root for in that matchup. I root for Jose Reyes getting on by an error, that he still, he, all of his stats go down, his batting average, his OPS still goes down, but the Yankees still blow the lead. But they didn't because Aroldis Chapman faced a guy who could no longer hit. I mean, in that situation, uh, Blevins was the pitcher for the Mets. Why not let Blevins hit? I mean, really, at that point, what's the difference between Blevins and Jose Reyes? Like, you know, Sally, Reyes once won a batting title. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So did Honus Wagner. And both are equally potent with their bat right now. Mets have to blow their team up. They have to make those hard decisions. I said it the other day. A few years ago, they had the Cy Young Award winner in R.A. Dickey. Feel-good story. Beloved by the fans. Seems I've never met the guy, but seems like a great guy. And the Mets traded him. They made the deal. And it wound up bringing Syndergaard, and it wound up bringing in Darno, and the, the trade helped them go from a team in 2012 that looked like they were, you know, going nowhere in a hurry. And in 2015, they're in the World Series. That's a successful trade. Trading an asset. And I do believe Syndergaard and DeGrom and maybe even Mats are assets that they can use to rebuild this squad. I'm not, I'm not going to repeat myself on that, but I'll tell you something that does look really clear to me. At the beginning of the year, I picked the World Series to between, be between the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros. And in all full disclosure, I don't remember which one of those two teams I picked to win the World Series. I think I picked the Astros to repeat. But I said those are the two teams. And despite everything going on with a, as unpredictable as the National League has been with every division all clustered together and this team coming out great and that team coming out great. And despite the fact that the Red Sox shot out of the gate incredibly well and the Yankees are right now are the best team in baseball and yet another great winning streak, believe me, it doesn't give me any pleasure to say that, but the fact of the matter is they're on another big winning streak, they're doing well and they're on pace to win 113 games. And the Astros have had some of their issues. And the Washington Nationals stumbled out of the gate. They got swept by the Mets early. And they allowed the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves to stampede and make, you know, to run to the front of the line of the National League East in the first third of the season. I look at the state of baseball and I look at the teams right now and I say, who would you pick to go to the World Series? And I'd say, yeah, my preseason picks. I stand by them. They're still good, solid picks. Now, when you take a look at all the things that have gone wrong, 
with the Washington Nationals, with all the injuries, with all of this, with all of that. And, you know, and it may continue to get a little bad because it um, looks like Strasburg may be head to the disabled list. But despite all of that, here we are standing on this hill and the Nationals are tied for first place, one ahead of the loss column of Atlanta. The Phillies, who got off to that wonderful start, are now a couple of games above 500, which is kind of where I thought they'd be. The Braves got off to a wonderful start, are still tied with Washington. The Mets are in absolute freefall. And if you look at the rest of the National League, the one team, uh, there, there are two National League teams that have better records than the Nats, so they'd be the Brewers and the Cubs. But I think the Nationals, especially when Murphy is back, are a better team than the Cubs and are a better team than the Brewers. And if they have a healthy Strasburg to go along with Scherzer, who's probably going to win another Cy Young Award, and Gio Gonzalez, who looks solid, and the bullpen, led by friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, looks really damn good. And they just got back Adam Eaton, who hasn't played in, in, you know, probably since the days of Jose Reyes being a decent major league player. I look at that and say, who's better than the Nationals in a short series? And not Arizona, super streaky Arizona. Not anyone in the West, which is all bunched together. I mean, keep in mind, the Padres are in dead last place, but only five and a half games behind the Arizona Diamondbacks. And there is no indication that any team in the National League West is going to go on a rampage. None. The fact that the Giants are at even 500 and the Dodgers are at even 500 and the Rockies are at even 500 and they're all within striking distance of first place. I don't trust any of those teams. And you look at it and go, you know what? After all of this, when we get to this point, we're now in mid-June, you understand. Yes, there's, there's the second half of June, July, August, and September. A lot of things can happen. But we've got to this point where we are inching closer to the halfway mark. And you look at it and go like, do you know what? It still looks like the Nationals. It will only take a modest winning streak and Atlanta to have a modest losing streak. To have the Nats really take control of first place and give themselves a little cushion. And the Phillies who have had some injuries and, and some inconsistencies, they have to really, really... I mean, they've lost eight of their last ten games. And when you're a team that overachieves in the first third of the season, that means that chances are you're going to regress back to the mean. There is a sense of desperation with the Washington Nationals, especially because the pending free agency of Bryce Harper. And I've stated here, and I'll do a full podcast about uh, eventually, I personally think Bryce Harper is going to leave the Washington Nationals and sign with the Philadelphia Phillies. The main reason I think that is I think there are really two landing spots for him, and that would be the Phillies and the Cubs, and I think the Cubs are more likely to pursue Manny Machado than Bryce Harper. But I digress. The Nats are still the team. 
It just it they that's just how they look to your pal Sully. Meanwhile, you go to the American League. You have the Yankees who are on pace to win 113 games. They're the Red Sox who I'm boycotting are also on pace to win around 110 games. And they on first glance, at first blush, look like the overwhelming favorites in the American League right now. Especially when you consider head-to-head, the Yankees have played the Astros very, very well. Now, of course, the Cleveland Indians have finally have pushed themselves over 500 with a little bit of wiggle room. They're now four games above 500 and have a four-game lead over Detroit. The fact that Detroit's still in second place just shows that the Minnesota Twins, a team that I had a lot of confidence in, has been, I think, the, the single biggest disappointment in the American League. The Indians are going to win that division. It's not even going to be close. Well, actually, you know, it'll be closer than you think because they're not going to, they're only going to win like 88 to, you know, games or something like that, but that'll be enough because no one else in this division is going to have a winning record. And who knows? This may be that situation where the Indians could be like the 2006 Cardinals, and I've made this point before, but they could be the team that you look at and you go like, you know, you're, you, you underestimate them and they wind up stampeding all the way to the World Series because you look around and you go like, man, we're actually, uh, we actually are a team that are filled with players who are really good. And then, boom, they go on and win. Indians need to acquire at least two relievers because I do think they have all the pieces. And the Mariners have gone on a rampage since the suspension of Robinson Cano which makes absolutely no sense. And yet, I look at the Astros. I look at the Astros who are currently on a four-game winning streak and are tied with the Mariners for first place. The Astros have one more win. The uh, Mariners have one fewer loss. And despite all of the you know, all of the Yankee rampages that they've gone on, despite all the, you know, the, the, you know, the Red Sox winning streak and all the attention they got, you look at where the Astros are right now. They have one fewer win than the Yankees. They have, you know, they're behind the Red Sox, you know, four in the loss column. And they are on pace to win 100 games. You know, you could, you could create the illusion that they're underachieving because the Red Sox and Yankees have won so many more games and the Mariners have caught them. They're on pace to win 100 games. And an interesting thing, when you look at this, at the Astros for the last few days, like yesterday, which was the uh, ninth day of June, that's what happens when it's the 10th, the previous day is the 9th, um, they beat their cross-state rivals, the Texas Rangers 4 to 3. And one of the biggest problems that the Astros have had has been bullpen inconsistency. One of the one of the really solid things that they've had was their dynamic starting pitching. Well, yesterday was not Charlie Morton's day. Charlie Morton has been having a Cy Young caliber season thus far, but he couldn't get out of the 4th. He only let up one hit and one earned run, but he walked six. He was all over the map. And Peacock, you know, let up a run as well. But then you looked up, and Sip, Davinsky, and Ron Doan 
all through shutout innings, and they wound up winning the game 4-3. to three. Notice the name I didn't say. Giles. Giles is the closer. He's the guy with the experience. He's the guy who piles up the saves. Hinch of the Astros, the manager, is a smart guy. He knows what to do with his pen. Obviously, he kept giving Giles a shot because, hey, if you could have him anchor the bullpen, then the rest of it could fall into place. But this has not been a good year for Giles. And unlike other teams in the past, they do not appear to simply, I don't know, go with the guy who got you there. Last year in the playoffs, they removed Giles because he may have got them there, but he wasn't going to get them to where they wanted to go. He was the closer. But in the middle of the postseason, when he lost his effectiveness, Hinch basically said, I'm not going to go down with a sinking ship. And the Peacocks and the McCullers and the Mortons of the world got the ball in places where they normally wouldn't. Now look it. You have Hector Rondon, who now has an ERA of 1.57. If you want someone who has had closing experience, if that means anything to you, which I personally, it doesn't mean piddly-poo for me. I don't care about closing experience. Now you may say, well, what if you've ever pitched in the majors? No, clearly. I got rocked as a seventh grader pitching in Western Massachusetts Little League. So clearly, I've never pitched in the majors. But I have observed a lot of the majors. And I have seen there have been instances where a team hands the ball to the closer because they've piled up the saves. And sometimes that leads to really bad decisions. And A.J. Hinch, I don't know what goes through his mind, but I admired it in the postseason because he managed in a way which philosophically I think is an important way to handle your pitching staff. How would you handle your pitching staff if you didn't care about wins and losses? I don't mean the team. I mean the pitcher getting a win, getting a loss. There's sometimes you see managers manage the game with that in mind. How many times do you see a pitcher struggle in the fifth inning? And you hear, like they say, well, he's got to get through this fifth if he, wanna get, if he wants to get the credited with the win. And you've seen managers leave a pitcher in a little bit too long in that fifth inning trying to secure the win. You don't believe me? Watch that fifth inning of Game 5 of the World Series last year. When it became clear to everyone with a pair of eyes that Clayton Kershaw didn't have it. Yes, Clayton Kershaw is a Hall of Fame pitcher. Yes, Clayton Kershaw pitched a brilliant Game 1 of the World Series and actually pitched great out of the bullpen in Game 7. But we all saw he couldn't find the strike zone and was gassed. And yet, they kept them in pitching that fifth. How much of that was because, hey, Clayton's got to get the win here. How much of it was because of that? A.J. Hinch didn't manage thinking about win-losses, didn't manage thinking about saves. How would you manage the game if you didn't know what their record was?
And that's how he seems to be handling the pen. Now, Hector Rondon closed out the game yesterday. He has not let up a run in the last week. If you take a look at some of his splits over the last over his last 30 games, he is you know he's pitching to a 1.57 ERA, and he is you know he struck out 26 batters in his last 23 innings. And along that way, he saved two games. Well, guess what? You may put him in that save situation from now on. This is a role he had with the Cubs for many years. In fact, when the Cubs made it to the League Championship Series in 2015 against the previously mentioned Mets, Rondon was the closer. Now, the biggest problems that I had pointed to the Astros before was the anchor of the you know, the end of the bullpen, and getting one more slugger. And when you look up and you say, man, the Astros may have solved that problem from within. The Astros may have found, hey, you know how Hector Rondon was removed from the closer role when the Cubs acquired Aroldis Chapman in 2016? Well, maybe he can reclaim the closer role with the Astros. There's enough pitchers in there that they can mix and match. So really the only thing the Astros need to do is pick up one slugger. And I think if they do that now, barring catastrophic injuries, the Astros can cruise into port. You can point to the Yankees' better record. You can point to the Cubs' experience and their superior record to the Nationals. I'm standing up on this hill, as I'm doing right now, Despite how cloudy it is, I still see the two favorites from the beginning of the year are the favorites right now. They're the ones who are best equipped, Washington and Houston. And if they go out, if the Astros find that slugger, now I had made a suggestion. Take a flyer and Hanley Ramirez. The Red Sox cut him. And I get why the Red Sox cut him. Especially if they DFA'd him, they probably saw if they could get anything from him. No one won that contract. They said, do you know what? We have to pay this anyway, and we'd rather start Moreland. And while I haven't been watching the Red Sox games, I do check on the box scores from time to time, and I did notice that, hey, look at that. Moreland's playing really well, and they don't have to have that be a controversy. Of course, Pedroia got hurt right again, and they probably could have kept Hadley Ramirez, but that's neither here nor is it there. I think the Astros should take a flyer on Hanley Ramirez because it will cost them nothing. And if the Astros can make all their improvement internally and by picking up someone who has just been cut and put themselves in a position to win back-to-back World Series, I'm just saying, we're in mid-June, and the favorites at the beginning of the year remain the favorites now. We'll see how it unfolds. Who knows? The Astros could go on a huge plunge, or this could be the year the Cleveland Indians take everyone by surprise in the postseason, and we may have, the at the end of the year, we say it's Oktoberfest. What happens in Oktoberfest? You, br- you bust out the barrels, and who busts out the barrels? That would be Brewers, and oh my God, the Brewers are winning Oktoberfest, and that was a long way to go, but you know there are some marketers out there who are trying to do that right now. Or it could be exactly what you predict it would be. You know, it's kind of like the NBA. Where the last four years, it's been the Cavaliers and the Warriors. 
And you have this incredibly exciting postseason with some great game sevens. They're like, man, it's totally unpredictable. It's totally unpredictable. You don't know which way it's going to go. You don't know which way it's going to go. And then in the end, it's Warriors, Cavaliers, and you know, Warriors sweep, and it's over fast. I wonder if that's going to be that way in baseball. It's like, you can't predict what's going to happen. You just can't predict. Actually, yeah, yeah, you can. Sometimes you can. And so far, I'm looking at my predictions and I say, do you know what? I feel good about them right now. And usually, my predictions are awful. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kuliski. Thinking about predictions of the past and seeing a clear future on a cloudy day. This has been Sully Baseball for the 10th day of June 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.